0: Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics, March madness is finally here and upsets have already happened as par tradition with the NCAA tournament. Nothing circles the wagon still like the national football league, where we try to enjoy nice things. We try to enjoy nice things and enjoy some college basketball and news has to break during that. Once again, shaking up the green Bay Packers and the AFC West Leave us alone, National Football League, because it's college basketball's time. Lay off. We will get started with college basketball. Sorry for the NFL fans. We'll get to your league. Don't you worry. But we'd be remiss to not hit on some of the biggest headlines from the night we record on Thursday, which also happens to be the first night and day of the NCAA tournament for the men's side. The women's kickoff with all the action on Friday for the excitement of the first round. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you and yours and everyone out there. Hopefully, you enjoyed imbibing for the holiday and imbibing for the tournament because some fans of a specific team will just happen to say Kentucky will be drinking heavily tonight. I assumed, Al, this being the first day of. And then people getting to listen on Friday to our show and maybe taking it into the weekend that instead of us breaking down first day games, which would kind of be old news, perhaps when people finally got to listen, we'd have the opportunity to look ahead to the second round and then forward from there and kind of predict what was going to happen. And then the shit hit the fan for a number two team seed in the country. The number two seed, the Kentucky Wildcats, John Calipari's old wise veteran transfer team. Forget about the one and duns and the freshmen. This is his wisdom team. The vets out there. They know how to play basketball and they get run out of the gym by St. Peter's run out of the gym is strong because they did go into overtime, but St. Peter's a school from New Jersey with a population of the school of three or 4,000 kids sticks with this Kentucky team all game long, a thorn in their side. Kentucky finally looks like they're putting them away up 68, 62 with the ball. And alas, we go into overtime because they forget how to score. They forget how to make free throws and they blow it in the end and get sent home in the first round for what has to be John Calipari's worst loss in NCAA tournament history. Easily, probably the worst loss in school history in the NCAA tournament. Another disappointing season after they had one of the worst seasons in school history last year. The hell are we doing over there in Kentucky? What's happening to those wildcats?
1: Well, first of all, greetings to all our fans and friends. That's number one. It's great to have everybody back with free agent frenzy in both football and baseball. But this is March Madness, opening day and night, St. Patrick's Day, uh, the anniversary of the legendary Danny Ainge sojourn through Digger Phelps Notre Dame defense uh, a long time ago and far, far away, but still on this St. Patrick's Day. And just, you know, when you thought... There wasn't too much going on today in terms, yes, Iowa went down, okay? UConn, uh, as usual, forgot how to score, and they go down to New Mexico State. You have the blue blood, Coach Cal, the big blue, the Wildcats, against the Peacocks. The Peacocks. No, not the NBC Peacock, all right? St. Peter's a 15 seed and they hang around Kentucky struggles to shoot all their athleticism back and forth, up and down. You're like, this. this, you know, sooner or later, you know, Kentucky will pull away, They'll go on a 10-0 run and St. Peter's will fold and coach Cal will tell us in the post-game press conference, this is what this tournament is all about. You know, I told my guys, you gotta be ready. Anybody can beat you. You know, we we let them hang around. Unfortunately, you know, we got it done down. But no, no, no. They've got a 68-62 lead when they finally have gone on that little bit of a run, when they finally have put a little distance in between themselves and the St. Peter's Peacocks, and they've got a six-point lead in the ball off of a replay review, which awards them the ball properly, and they promptly throw it away and get outscored 7-zip. And suddenly, Kentucky's trailing 69-68. It winds up tied, Kentucky with the last possession, and of course, a mindless shot as their little left-handed point guard goes to the basket as every point guard does nowadays. Don't go to the basket, pull up and shoot. Don't go to the basket and try and finish against traffic and uh, or maybe dish for a layup, no go to the basket, get hung up in the air and then fire it out 28 feet away. Two dribbles, pump fake in your face, impossible jump shot, not even close. To overtime we go. Kentucky, the ball a three-point lead, their little left-handed point guard at the line, 80 plus percent free throw shooter for two shots. First one? Brick. Second one, overcompensate, barely draws front iron, and he was useless the rest of the game. Useless. Next thing you know, the three-point shooter knocks down his second one off the screen. Kentucky's in trouble. They can't get anything going offensively. Little point guard throws it away. They go one for six in overtime. One for six from the free throw line in overtime. And the St. Peter's peacocks. From Jersey. No less. Knock off the two seed, the bluest of bloods, and Coach Cal and company are on their way home. Back to Lexington. In this is not a vintage Kentucky team. Let's start with that. Ugly to watch at times. Not a good shooting team. Athletic, physical. The big guy in the middle, a rebounding machine, they can't shoot free throws, their point guards can't shoot, and it bit them right smack dab in the fanny against a 15 seed in St. Peter's who was in no way intimidated, made their free throws, and I'm not even going to say shockingly because did anybody pick St. Peter's in their brackets? I'm sure there's one guy who's touting around. I love the Peacocks, you know, class of '92. But come on, the problem is even the Kentucky; these teams are not that good. The quality of play, and I know it sounds like you know, beating a dead horse. I hate to be the the, the naysayer and you know, put a. Wet blanket on one of the greatest, if not the greatest, event in sports. But the caliber of play in some of these games is tough to watch. It's tough to watch. Teams can't score. Teams can't even get good shots, let alone make them. Dribble, dribble, dribble between my legs, behind my back to steal a line from Neil Everett. Step back, Bobby Jack. It's a three with a hand in my face. Or it's charged to the rim, leave my feet. And try and throw it out for a guy 30 feet from the basket. Does anybody dish for lamps anymore? Does anybody dish for dunks anymore? Does anybody pull up in traffic and knock down a mid-range jumper? It's almost unwatchable. I'm not going to say it's unwatchable, but it is painful to watch these half-court. Nobody knows how to run running offense. You don't see any ball movement. You don't see any cutting. You don't see any passing. You don't see guys moving without the ball. You don't see slip screens. You don't see guys down on the baseline popping up for jump shots. It's just—it it is ugly to watch. The athleticism is fabulous, but the actual half-court offense seems like it's a lost art. Nobody runs a fast break anymore. There's no three on two. Fill the—you know—fill the lanes. Bounce pass for a layup. No, don't do that. You pull it, get in for the layup and then throw it up for the 25-footer. These games are difficult to watch. And I don't know what the coaches are doing. Are the players uncoachable? Or are the defenses so good that you can't run a half-court offense? I mean, come on. Let, let, let me see some cutting. Let me see some ball screens. Let me see some back doors. I some give and goes, I just don't see anything remotely resembling quality half court offense in any of these games.
0: It's almost impossible to find it throughout the entire team on both offense and defense. You might see flashes of a team that has a great half court offense, but their defense stinks, or you might see an incredible defense. Me working for Big 12 this morning on Sirius XM, covering the Big 12 teams, you see fantastic defenses. You'll also see those same teams go out and struggle to hit 50. They'll struggle well, to score 40. Texas Tech. Texas Tech is great defense. They can't shoot, put the ball in the ocean. Iowa State hovering around 39, 40, and 41 points the hell happens how do you not score 50 points is that so much to ask we can't hit 50 in a college game division one 50 points we're struggling to hit 40 how good their defense might be but they have to hold teams to 45 in order to have a chance to win it's very difficult to find an above average team at both ends of the floor that does so a lot of people think Gonzaga is that team this year. I tend to think that a lot of teams don't know how to handle a player like Chet Holmgren or Drew Timmy, and let that me screws ask, them out.
1: Let me ask you this: just give me your thoughts on Kentucky before we go to Gonzaga, because I, as I said, I, I just thought uh, I didn't think they should have been a two seed. I thought you know Tennessee should have been the two seat, uh, but regardless, they looked abysmal.
0: We hear a lot about the SEC in recent years for their basketball program being the best. Look at all the teams, look at them get all in the tournament. And then you'll watch a game when Kentucky's at home. And even when they were in the SEC tournament and the place is packed, it's loud. It sort of helps them in games like that. John Calipari standing on the sideline. And for whatever reason, every year you just kind of get in the mode and into the feeling like, all right, maybe this is it. Kentucky, here we go. What's the narrative for this year's team? And we got drawn into the trap. Oscar Sheebway underneath. He'll grab you a hundred rebounds. He's always there under the glass. All they need is a couple shooters. Tie Ty, Ty Washington, the point guard, and Kentucky's going to roll to the final four at least. And yet here we are again in the same predicament, the worst one under John Calipari. And I don't know how much longer Kentucky fans are going to want to put up with this. They expect to win always. And as nice as it is that Cal recruits, and gets people into the NBA like a, a machine at a factory, just churning players out into the league, which is fantastic. What would you prefer your college team to win or your college team to have successful players in the national basketball association, winning potential championships for teams that you don't root for, but you rooted for their college. Me as a Duke fan, teams. I want te- I want players to be successful for Duke. I don't care what they do in the league. It's great it, for it, them, but what do I care? I'm a fan of the school. I'm not a fan it, of the NBA team. His teams play hard. They
1: defend. They rebound. But the last, you know, the last four or five years, they, his teams do not shoot the ball well at all. And they have trouble in the half-court scoring against, at times, anybody. And today was just such a day against the Peacocks of St. Peter's. And it's not like you said before the they're getting good. They weren't even getting good shots. Right. They couldn't run their offense, and they couldn't defend. They, 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 they looked completely frustrated. Their point guard could not get them into their half-court offense. When they when they went when St. Peter's went into the zone, they struggled against it. It was just, and I don't know, you know what Coach Kell was designing in the timeouts, but whatever he was telling them to do in, in terms of offensive schemes to try and get themselves some at least open, decent shots. They weren't getting them. And when they got to the foul line, you know, like I said, you missed five of your first six free throws in overtime. That's And there's one one once. There were two-shot situations.
0: And this is supposed to be, be that veteran situations. team that's supposed to handle these moments, especially when you get to the tournament. Because sometimes you can understand, freshman players in big moments, you miss free throws, you throw it off your foot, the list goes on. This was supposed to be the team of, all right, we've got established players now that should be able to handle the moment. Let's just go out there and do it. And it's another disappointing season. Uh, he hasn't won a national championship since 2012. Well, let's Adam remember the he's final only won, in 2015.
1: He's, he's only won one. That's right. and I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to belittle winning one, but you make it sound like when you say he hasn't won one since he's only won one. It's true. It's not like he's got, a, you know, uh, four rings and the last one was ten years ago. He's got one ring. You know, he you could argue he's uh you know he's Aaron Rodgers is of college basketball coaches. Um but jumping to Gonzaga which won 9372 today with the uh the big run midway through the, the second half I do not and I've heard people say they I, I they, they are I do not think this Gonzaga team is as good as last year's team. Uh which got Crushed by Baylor in the finals. I don't think this is team is as versatile. I don't think it's as athletic. Uh, not nearly as good as the point guard spot. Yeah, they have Chet Holmgren, who is the unicorn, but he's still seven feet one and 195 pounds, and a, yes, a unique player. Maybe the first player to be drafted. We'll see. But you know, I I I, I just don't see them as anywhere near as all around. A team, as I saw last year, that great half-court offense, the constant movement, the versatility, the ability to get to the basket uh, off the dribble, shoot the threes, the the freshman point guard, uh, you know, who was a lottery pick. I just don't see that kind of overall talent in this team that I saw in last year's team. But they have Timmy back, who had a big game today. They have Holmgren who everybody says is going to be the first or second pick in the draft with your kid from Duke. So I guess there is something to it. But I don't think this is as talented a team as, as uh, Coach Few put on the court last year. And I think this team is vulnerable, um, as all Gonzaga seems seem, seem to be. I don't think it's the best Gonzaga team, though. I don't think it's as good as last year. I don't think it's as good as the team that lost in the finals to North Carolina.
0: I would agree with you. And I'm interested to see if it happens because I think this will be the kryptonite in the game that they would lose, should they? What happens if one or both of Chet Holmgren or Drew Timmy get into foul trouble in either half? Who are you turning to? Especially if it's both of them and you have to risk keeping one of them out there with two fouls or three fouls or four fouls. Who are you turning to in that instance? We mentioned the Big 12 we mention Texas tech. I have them advancing past Duke, sadly, RIP to get to Gonzaga. I think they have a defense that could figure those guys out. The problem is if they can't shoot, which more often than not, they can't, where's that offense going to come from? Eventually Gonzaga has more shooters. You would think they're going to find their footing and be able to squeak by But if there's a defense that could get those guys into foul trouble, I think they're going to at least provide the blueprint for maybe the teams coming after them, Kentucky, not being one of them. Now, a lot of people had that as their final four matchup, Gonzaga, Kentucky. Well, now who's going to come out of that bottom part of the bracket? If either of them get into foul trouble, first of all, we're going to be learning some different guys on their team, because I don't know about you, Al, regarding last year's team as well, I knew a lot more of their players than I do this year's, and I don't know if that's just because Chet Holmer gets every headline. Last year
1: was a really good team. Um, I love the way last year's team played. They play all the things I just said about the problems with this tournament and the lack of the ability to play half-court offense. That's exactly the antithesis of last year's Gonzaga team. They were able to do all of that. They ran a beautiful half-court offense. There was constant movement. They rebounded, got out, and ran. And when the fast break was stopped, they had a wonderful sense of how the game is played. Cutting, passing, movement, constant motion offense. That was a thing of beauty to watch. And then they ran up against the Baylor team that simply was too quick, too athletic, too physical, and the worst possible matchup. It could not have been worse for them in terms of uh, what they ran up against in the Baylor Bears and Baylor's ability to guard in the half court and Baylor's ability to beat them off the dribble uh, when they had the ball offensive. Baylor was just too quick, just too athletic, and I really think they, they intimidated Gonzaga early with their defense and their quickness. Gonzaga found themselves in a situation they didn't have all year. One, they were guarded. Two, they couldn't guard. And I said, <laughs> that, that's a terrible thing to have to face for the first time in a national championship game. I just thought that they were overwhelmed at both ends of the court. And they made a little run to start the second half. But Baylor was just going downhill that whole game. And you know, I don't think this year's Baylor team uh, would be nearly as imposing. And they're athletic and they're physical. But I just, Baylor was on that kind of run where it was that combination of all of their athleticism and skill set and playing great at the same time. Shooting the ball well. You you, You combine that with the ability to shoot the three, which they did very well. And you have a national champion on your hands. And that's exactly the way they played. They were far away the superior team that night. If Baylor were to play this really good Baylor team, were to play this really good Gonzaga team this year, I don't think it would be the same outcome. Uh, I think if both healthy, it would be a good game, a competitive game. I don't know who would win, but uh, neither team was as good this year. And the team that I would be the scariest to face if I was Gonzaga would be the team coached by their former assistant. Arizona's size. Uh, with the two big guys would be scary for me and their athleticism and the ability of their point guard. Uh, They score a lot of different ways and they've got two really big physical players. And I think that could cause problems for both Holmgren uh, and Timmy, but that's down the line. Obviously they're a one seed. I think they might be the most talented team in the country, but that's another couple weeks off. I would be very surprised Of all the one seeds, the one I think is most likely to get to the final four is Arizona. I would be shocked if they are not at the final four. I think Gonzaga will make it also. But the one I would be most surprised if they get upset uh, would be Arizona. What about
0: you? I have Arizona losing to Houston. And I can't really give you a great reason why. I think... One of the reasons was I was on two of, I think just three of Arizona's losses on the other side. So I lost those pets staying up late to watch pac 12 after dark basketball. So that sticks in my mind. Also, when you fill the bracket out on the old four letter network, they have all these different insider options and different things you can read. And they love this Houston basketball team. The BPI can't get enough of Houston. They went to the final four last year, obviously. Some guys are returned back. Love this team again. So when I got to that matchup, I said, well, sometimes you have to go against the grain a little bit with these things if you want to make some noise. And I have them getting upset to Houston, Tennessee beating Houston after that and advancing to the final four slot. But if you have to pick teams to get to that slot in the final four, you're not wrong to say Arizona's that. And you're not wrong to think, well, if they're not going to make it, it's probably going to be Tennessee who should have gotten that second seed over Kentucky. We now see and argued it anyway, but people are going to see such. And then we'll see what happens with Kansas potentially coming out as that number other number one seed. That's a team that I've watched all year too. And there's been way too many times where you think there's no way this team wins the national championship. And then in the big 12 tournament of the, of the four
1: one seeds, they are clearly the most frenetic. Yes, I mean you—you no you, you, you literally never know what you're going no to get. No question. You watch them play with their best player, who's a player of the year candidate, and you think like, "Damn, these guys are frenetic. Bill Self's at it again. which he is. I mean, it's amazing. He wins the conference every year. It's and he gets no—he he is the most maligned, uh, terrific coach in college basketball. I mean, th- those fans are so spoiled. You know, our, our great friend uh, and avid listener, John Birch, who went to KU, is constantly in my ear, ripping Bill Self to shreds. And all he does is win. He wins the Big 12 virtually every year. Look, once they they look, Cal, Coach Cal got upset. Coach K gets the losers to, to a 15 seed. You know, behind the first to lose to a 15 seed. You know, it happens to everybody. But for some reason, what happens to Bill Self? It's like, oh, Bill Self is the same old disappointment in the tournament. Guy's been to Final Four, he's been to finals, He's won the national title. I mean, there, there's no what's the down year for Kansas? Right. A three seed? I mean, really. But then you watch them other days, and you're like, you got to be back at me. These guys are, are, you know, how, how can they play that bad? You know, losing, they lose twice to TCU. Not that TCU is is you know, a, a, a bad basketball team, but you don't expect them to
0: lose, you know, twice to TCU. And they got blown out by Kentucky, Al, by 20 in just, Allen Fieldhouse. They got murdered. It was like, you watch, you watch them play
1: sometimes and even at home in Allen Fieldhouse. And you're really curious as to how this is a top 10 team, let alone a one seed, because they look abysmal at times. And I don't mean, you know, not good. I mean, they look awful. And then, lo and behold, you know, comes the last couple weeks of the season and comes the Big 12 tournament. There they are again, playing well, blowing people out of the building and sitting atop whichever region you want to put them in. But that's the one that we think is you know, most prone to an upset. Right. Baylor, you could argue, because of course they've had. Injury issues all year, which they still have. But in in terms of the caliber of play, or at times, lack thereof, Kansas has to be uh, the number one seed that is, to me, I I don't want to use the most apt to lose, but the the team I could see pulling a rock in an early round more than any of the other one seeds. I would agree. I'm not saying I'm predicting it, but... uh, Based upon their track record, they are the most, I think, prone to put
0: up a stinker. Because it's those three teams, then there's definitely a space, and then Baylor is the other number one seed. Now, they deserved it, most certainly. Regular season title, but they're so riddled with injuries. They're basically playing a high school lineup every night, throwing out seven guys, hoping that nobody gets in foul trouble, nobody gets hurt. Their best shooter's got problems with his feet. He's out the first weekend. He might be out for the season. They lost Jonathan Chambachachua, their big guy down low with the torn ACL. They're just asking for trouble every game, where if one thing goes wrong, now what do we do? But they go out and they rolled Norfolk State, running up the score at the end. Starters are still out there. And it wouldn't be surprising if they put a run together. I have them actually losing to North Carolina coming up in the next round. Just because obliterated.
1: Absolutely obliterated.
0: Yeah, A Marquette team that save, had a pretty good season. Save year, some for tomorrow. Baylor, Al. Save, save a couple points. Well, yeah, Well It's like in baseball when you're up 14-2. We still got two more games in the series. Maybe save a couple so, runs for tomorrow. That's kind of how I was looking at that. But yeah, that's another and, game. And then they could go out and lose by 30 to Baylor. And you'd say, of course. That's how the tournament what, goes. What, what, you
1: know, and, and I don't want to make it sound like I'd like to see teams run scores up. But I think sometimes, you know, it, looking at it from a coach's point of view, when your team has struggled, when you haven't been healthy and you finally got your guys playing well and on on uh, you know a run, you almost want to, you like to keep them out there and give them that feeling that, yeah, we, we can do this. We can light teams up and you don't want to take your foot off the gas at all. You don't want to pull them out with eight minutes to go and wind up winning by 20 instead of 35. You want to let them go out there and really like let the horse run. Yeah. And I think that's what happened with Baylor today. I don't think, you know, that Coach Drew was out to embarrass anybody, but you know, I think he's you know, kind of mindset of I'm doing what I got to do what's best for my team. I got to let them run. I got to let them get in rhythm. I got to let them get one under their belt where they really feel like, you know, yeah, we got our swag back. This is a team we we need to blow out, and we did it, um, and feel good about themselves after you know, losing to. Uh, to Oklahoma in the, uh, in the
0: tournament. Well, the full so, disclosure okay. for that was I had the under and we were getting, we were getting close. We were getting close. Did you bet on the weather today? Did you bet on rain or not? No, I knew rain was coming. The weathermen said so. I wish somebody would tell me who was going to win these bets before I placed them. The under still hit though. So congratulations. I believe Justin Turner was the one that hit a garbage time three and it gave Akinjo a double double. Then he got to the line, made a couple free throws from the bench. The crowd was going nuts. Good for him. <laughs> It didn't affect the outcome, so I'm glad he got his little shining moment in the box score and everything. It was great. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. So I'll ask you this. I mean... It's a little bit cheating because Kentucky was going to be the answer, at least for me and for many other people listening as one of the teams. But as far as favorites go, and we've talked Gonzaga, we've talked Arizona. What are the other couple teams that you're expecting to make a run? And of course, we will say again, we're recording this as the night of the first round of games wraps up the first day of the first round of games. So we've got a long way to go. But if And, and we, the only team that you know, today,
1: you would have thought would make a big run potentially. In my mind, that is gone is Kentucky. Uh, yes, Iowa won the Big Ten tournament, but they relied far too heavily on the three. Right. Uh, I didn't like them to go a long way. I had them losing, I believe, in the next round uh, in my uh, in my brag without having them in front of me. So I did not have Iowa going a long way. Uh, I did have Kentucky, uh, you know, going to the Elite Eight, that obviously is not going to happen. But the team I like is uh, the team that's really getting no credit, which you mentioned earlier, and blew out their first-round opponent, Longwood, today uh, you know, by 30-plus. And that's Tennessee. Now, I've never been a Rick Barnes fan. He coaches his worst in the biggest spots. He gets tight. His teams always have. But this is a really versatile team. This is a team with size. It's a team with strength. It's a team with two point guards who know how to handle the basketball, and are very quick, and know how to run their team's offense. They played very well down the stretch. They won the SEC tournament. They beat Kentucky twice, and uh, you know, unfortunately, for Texas A&M, on their fourth game in four de- in four days, uh, they ran against a you know up against a buzzsaw at a team that I thought should have made the tournament. Uh, and got screwed was Texas A&M. They got blown out by Tennessee. And uh, I just think Tennessee is a team that can beat you a lot of different ways and they play really tough, hard-nosed defense. And Auburn doesn't defend that well, but they can score. So there are two teams from the SEC that I think can go a long way. uh, But right now, I, I just like what I saw from Tennessee, and I sometimes you really can't trust what happens in the conference tournaments. Uh, Iowa was a perfect example, but you know I like their versatility. I like their size. They don't shoot it great, and that's a problem. You know I, I don't see Tennessee as a team that you know would knock down three-point shooters, and I think you got to have one. Um, but I like the way they're playing. I think they can really make some noise in this tournament Am I picking them to win it. No, but of the non one or two seeds, I think they're a team that's going to cause a lot of problems.
0: I too settled on Tennessee as my, who's going to come out of that region. If you're going to have Arizona be upset and settled on them for what we've seen, not only this season, but kind of an exclamation point in the conference championship, as you mentioned, that's not the end all be all, but doesn't help. It doesn't hurt. I should say to start stringing together wins like that against quality opponents. And a lot of people are speaking highly on them from the sec. We now see after that Kentucky loss, people aren't wrong. So that is, I agree with you. Another team to watch fingers are crossed for Kansas just for the big 12 aspect of it, but I don't feel great about it because I think they can easily just drop a game and you wouldn't be surprised about it at all. I have Gonzaga winning it all. And it's kind of an emotional pick where I wouldn't mind seeing them lose to keep the narrative I've kept on this show for years now, ripping them to shreds whenever they don't find success, bringing poor Adam Morrison into jokes. Adam, don't call me Van Morrison. has got to come up every program. I want to do it again Adam so bad.
1: College, every college basketball conversation. on new report, old report. Must have an <laughs> Adam Morrison reference.
0: Screaming his lungs out when they hit that. Game-winning shot over UCLA last year. How'd that wind up for you, Adam? What happened the next game? Were you watching, or did you decide to stay home for that? I want now, that before, moment so bad on the show, but, I mean, it's hard to go we against get, them.
1: Before we get to your beloved non-alma mater, as though it were, the other team that I do like a little bit, uh, because I've watched them a lot, and I like the mix that they've got, is Purdue. They've got the two big guys, and really big guys. One is very difficult to guard in the post, and the other is a wonderful passer out of the post. So they give you a lot of diversity. And the Ivy kid, is he's a fun player to watch. When you watch him play, his style, he reminds you a little bit of John Morant. He's kind of a whirling dervish. He can stop on a dime. He gets into the paint a lot. He makes a lot of things happen. He is not the kind of scorer that Morant is. He's not. He's explosive. But he's not obviously explosive as Jaws, but he's a fun player to watch. They can do a lot of things. Uh, they played really well in the Big Ten tournament. They lost uh, you know, to Iowa. They played really well. But I think that's also a team that can go on a little run. Now, let's get to the matter at hand. Round two, let's presume the two war criminals both win. <laughs> uh, the good thing is when Michigan State plays Duke, somebody's got to lose. So, either uh, the queen to the king or little Caesar, the war criminal, one of them will be done. One of them for good, okay? It's Coach K. So, give me your thoughts on a potential Duke Michigan State matchup. Duke, who, by the way, has owned Michigan State in this tournament for years. Uh, one of the reasons, of course, being that most of Tommy's teams can't hit the broadside of a barn in a big spot, simply cannot score. So your thoughts on the Duke bracket and a potential second-round matchup with Sparty?
0: Well, they didn't own Michigan State, of course, the Zion year when R.J. Barrett decided to play hero and take the final three shots for Duke, missing all three of them, wound up at the line needing to miss a free throw to keep the game going after he missed his first free throw. Could have tied the game if he made both. Missed the that was first. a game, by
1: the way, that was a game, as you remember, which the officials did everything possible to, to you know, allow your team to advance. was nice. And they, and, and they still couldn't win.
0: Missed the free throw. Then he had a miss on purpose, the second one to try and get a rebound and get saved by Zion again. And he made that one instead. So as much as everybody thinks RJ Barrett is the savior of New York, we'll never forget the game where they just didn't pass Zion the ball, despite him winning all the games to get them to that stage, to get to the, <laughs> the Final Four. Anyway... I do not have Duke advancing to when we next record this show. I have them in the bracket moving on to lose to Texas tech. But in my mind, I don't see them getting past the round of 32, which unfortunately still doesn't have a great like witty nickname to it. We're good all the way forward from there. Sweet 16, elite Eight, final four, great sounding 32, nobody's pegged it with something cool. Well, it's funky. It's round bulky. of 32. Yeah. Well, it's also the round of 64. I mean, somebody's got to come up with something. I am not even sure Al Michigan state makes it to play Duke. Duke ends up with Davidson and playing Davidson would be worse. Davidson's going to run them ragged on defense, shooting threes, I, making them fools. I have to root for Tommy. So to win, so they can play Michigan state and then hope that's how they advance to the sweet 16. I don't think it's going to happen, though. That's why I have them out. I think it's going to be Davidson, and they're going to make fools of them like Virginia Tech did in the ACC championship. Uh,
1: The Mountain West, who got their four teams, has been a total bust so far, as predicted by Christopher Russo and yours truly, getting in over two teams that got screwed in uh, Dayton and Texas A&M. Both of whom should have made the tournament, certainly Texas Uh, A&M. Wyoming was hideous against Indiana. I, I think they're their 6'8 point guard, was I said to Steve, or as I said to um, Mike Meltzer tonight, is a 6'8 point guard because he's 6'8 and for some reason they decided to put him a point guard. He's not a 6'8 point guard. <laughs> I asked Mike Meltzer if he set the all-time record in the NCAA history for turnovers because I, I lost track at 11. Uh, it was one of the worst games I've ever seen anybody play against mediocre competition in the, the Wyoming-Indiana game. And then Indiana got absolutely obliterated by St. Mary's down 12 at the end of the first half and then destroyed in the second half. So uh, you have Duke losing to Davidson. Is that the case?
0: Yes, and even if that doesn't happen, I, I guess the committee after the Coach K goodbye tour ended in heartbreaking fashion against North Carolina just had enough of this tour because even if they were to beat Michigan State, You're going up against the Texas Tech team that played the best defense in the Big 12 conference, trying to figure out that offense. And if you beat them, you're assumingly going to play Gonzaga for a chance to get into the Elite Eight. I mean, or the Final Four, whatever it is. The road to get to even the Final Four is the most daunting there would be in the bracket for this Duke team. And there's, I just, I can't see it if you paid me to is basically what I came down to. Let's not make it sound like Texas Tech
1: is, you know, the second coming of, you know, the John Wooden's
0: UCLA teams, I mean, plays. They would be against Duke. <laughs> it was Come scoring on. on that offense. Nobody could shoot. Hey, steak. I'm just, I just don't have the confidence. A lot of years you're able to talk yourself into your team I know you as a Syracuse fan knows this better than anyone. They go on a late run and they get into the tournament. And before you know it, they're in the elite eight. When you blink there, they are. And people didn't even think they were going to make it. You can see these runs happen all the time. And I find it hard as a fan, not to preview them to and foresee the future of them happening. But I just don't see it this year, to be honest, sadly. I mean, I'd love to tell you that things are going to go great, but I just don't see it. So by well, the time I we record next week, I, think I don't think they'll be alone.
1: I I think they could make it to Gonzaga. Uh, but that's when they will,
0: that's when they will. Despite mind, beating Gonzaga earlier yes. in the season. How about yes. that? Having that win yes. on their resume, they had the nerve to put that in the, you know, you click on the teams and you see the matchups and everything. When you're so, filling the bracket out online, that was one of Duke's like best wins Gonzaga, which is a, a memory that people even find hard to remember. It, it was so, so long So Gonzaga
1: ago. is your pick to win it all.
0: Yeah. And
1: mine is Arizona Not because bad. I think, because I've got them meeting in the finals. Yeah. And I think that's a bad matchup. I think that's the only real bad matchup for Gonzaga is the size of Arizona. And not that he's going to have that much inside information, but obviously, you know, Mark Hughes, longtime assistant coach, is their head coach who took over.
0: little foul trouble. And before you know it, that game can swing. And obviously there's going to be a ton. Well, they usually split it and there's crowds on both sides, obviously. But I think the public would be pulling for Arizona as the underdog. If I had to guess,
1: who I don't know. I think there's a lot of people who finally want to, you know, who are rooting for Mark Few. He's a good guy. This would be his third trip to the finals. Oh, and two so far. The heartbreaking loss to Carolina, where they could have won it, and then obviously getting blown out last year.
0: Uh, (laughs) That was too bad last year. Still too
1: bad. But uh, before we get out of here, I think I think it'll be a mixed bag.
0: Yeah, I agree. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Before we get out of here, we have to hit baseball. So sorry for the football fans. Devontae Adams is going to the Raiders. He's not staying with Aaron Rodgers, who the Packers brought back. Now, Aaron Rodgers has to know about this, correct? I would think, but I'm sure he's not heartbroken when he falls asleep with $125 million in his back pocket after the And they're gonna have
1: two and, and they're gonna have two first rounders and two second rounders. So they should be able to fill those wide receiver spots with correct. some big time talent because with those four picks, you can take you can take two of them and move way
0: up. You could take your two first rounders
1: and move up to the middle of the first round and get one of the top five. You know,
0: Finally draft a wide receiver if you're the Packers. And for Aaron Rodgers, tell us if one of the Ohio State kids or the kid from Alabama who's coming off the ACL, uh, there are plenty of them, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. If you're Devontae Adams, I'm surprised you want to go have Derek Carr be your quarterback and Josh McDaniels. You're going to laugh,
1: but I'm going to give you this old report bombshell. I think I'm the only guy in the planet who thinks Devontae Adams is overrated. How come Devontae Adams was never open against the Niners? Ooh, little juice. How come when um, How come when Aaron Rodgers needed him most against Tampa two years ago, Adams was never open in a big spot? Did everybody in the building know that the Rams' best wide receiver was going to be looked to? Against Tampa, did everybody in the building know who Matthew Stafford was going to be looking for in the Super Bowl? He got open in traffic against double teams, runs after the catch. How come he got open? He got open short. He got open mid-range. He got open deep. He got open on the sidelines. He got open in the end zone. He ran after the catch. Where's Adams? How come he's never open in a big spot? How come he never finds space? Why is that? Damn right he's overrated. The best wide receiver in the National Football League plays for the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, Los Angeles Rams, right? I get confused with the Los Angeles teams. He plays for the world champion Los Angeles Rams, and he was the best wide receiver in the National Football League last year. And Adams is a terrific player, and the numbers are gaudy in terms of receptions, yards, touchdowns, you know, one or three guys, you know, which Marvin Harrison's included, et cetera, in terms of X amount of catches, X amount of yards, X amount of touchdowns. A lot of that is the guy who's throwing it to him. Good luck putting up those numbers with Derek Carr, a nice quarterback. Can't shine Aaron Rodgers' shoes. Packers aren't going to miss a beat. Not going, by the way, he's 29. Going to pay a 29-year-old wide receiver. million a year? I don't think so. No shot. Terrific player. Overrated player. Absolutely, positively overrated player. The best wide receiver in the National Football League was the most valuable player and the best player on the field in the Super Bowl.
0: Now, when it comes to Major League Baseball, and shout out to that being back, still exciting to say, there were some bombshell deals that eventually started trickling through. We thought once the first day of free agency hit, once the first hour hit, it would just be a slew of deals and blockbuster trades and maneuvers. And it was kind of just crickets for a couple days. And then bigger names started to come along. One of them being Freddie Freeman going to the Los Angeles Dodgers, giving them one of the most. Historically good-looking lineups, at least on paper. We obviously haven't seen them hit the field yet. Versatility. It's a video game. Lineup. Offensively and defensively.
1: And look, Corey Seager, ten years, and over three hundred million, or Freddie Freeman, six years. And you know, I thought it was going to be six and one eighty. You heard me talking about it all, all over the place, MLB Network. I told everybody I thought it'd be a Dodger six and one eighty. Turned out to be twenty-seven million a year, not thirty-seven, you know, in terms of the A V for the six years. And they replace Seager's bat with Freeman's bat. It allows them to do whatever they want with Max Muncy coming off the injury if they just want to DH him. Because, of course, they have uh, the young stud Gavin Lux at second. Uh, but they put Muncy there. They can now take their second baseman slash shortstop and put him where he belongs at shortstop, which is where Trey Scherner belongs, not at second base. And they're all reliable at third base, can DH some. Muncy can play over there. They've got Rios, who's a young left-handed bat to play there as well, who was out all last year. They have versatility in the outfield with Bellinger and obviously you know, the great Mookie Betts and people forget about A.J. Pollock and the Swiss Army that they brought back and Chris Taylor, who may be the most valuable player. So they have a ton of positional flexibility and an offense that can hurt you badly from both sides of the plate. This was a signing that I thought was going to happen all along. And in the meantime, I don't knock the Braves because the Braves moved on. They moved on quickly. They brought in the A's first baseman, who was a terrific player coming off a big year, who's four years younger, an excellent defender. And they have, I think... Depending upon whether or not Correa comes back to Houston, which may happen, but they have, if not the best, certainly one of the two or three best infields in all of baseball, because now they bring in the first baseman. Uh, they sign Olsen to go with you know Austin Riley, their big third baseman who had a breakout year last year. Uh, their solid former number one overall pick, Dansby Swanson at short. And as you all, Ozzy Alves at second, who is a wonderful young player, switch hitter, power from both sides, good defensively. So they got a wonderful infield. They won last year without their best player. You know, Acuna is probably going to miss the start of the season. But oh, by the way, they've got a generational player in Ronald Acuna Acuna Jr. Uh, They brought back Rosario, who was their playoff MVP. They're not gonna miss a beat. They helped their bullpen with Colin McHugh. They didn't lose anything out of a bullpen that killed it in the postseason. So they went out and they got themselves a younger replacement for Freddie Freeman. He's not as good a hitter as Freddie Freeman, but you know, like I said, four years younger, and then they signed him to an extension. So the Braves didn't miss a beat. Hall Schwamper is now in Philadelphia. The Mets just keep spending money. You know, the, the Dodgers are rolling. Uh, and the Cardinals, you know, they signed Corey Dickerson for one year and 5 million. So some things never change. The teams that (laughs) want to compete for championships do it. And the Cardinals just stand back and do nothing as Jack Flaherty and, uh, and Mr. Reyes are already, you know, (laughs) you know, have their shoulders barking and, uh, you know, the Cardinals are looking to go shop at the dollar store for more replacements. The big time teams shop at Saks. The Cardinals shop at the dollar store. Because they're penny-pinching, and they have no guts, and they have no heart. and All they want is their fans to just roll in, give me $3 million and let's win 88 games. You build championships by making big-time decisions in trades, free agency, and player development. And the Cardinals uh, have failed to do that. You know, oh, well, you know, they traded for Nolan how they traded for Paul Coyne. Those trades were like taking candy from a the baby. They were dealing with Colorado and Arizona, two dysfunctional franchises. You you win championships by signing Freddie Freeman. You win championships by going out and making a trade, you know, for Matt Olson. You know, you win championships by bringing in big time players and you assume the risk, not by spending a fortune on marginal players like Dexter Fowler, you know, or uh, Michael Leake, you know, or Brett Cecil. You sign big time players to big time money. You don't chase. And the Cardinals chase mediocre players; it cost them. And they refused to they refused to dip their toe in the water. Like, this is a shortstop market. It's a shortstop market like we may never see again. Trevor Story is still out there. It's a perfect fit in St. Louis. The shortstop market is going to be gone next year. But they refuse to jump in. Too cheap. But it's perfect for what the birdies. It's what the birdies say: cheap, cheap. Your Yankees love what they've done. Can't believe I'm saying it. Love what they've done. Wow. Rizzo, solid. Stable,
0: yeah. Left-handed stable. hitter in New Yankee Stadium. Could you imagine exactly. now a left-handed exactly. hitter? Yankee exactly.
1: Stadium. exactly. Jesus. It allows, it allows you to take your least supposed young stud hitter and put him back where he's comfortable at second base. It doesn't look like a fish out of the water, and you tell him to relax and hit. You get a solid defender at shortstop who's pretty good offensively, wants to play shortstop, and you get you know you get some some nuts and bolts. You get a douchebag. Okay, you get, yeah. you, you, you get a guy who you love to play. You get a guy who love when he's on your team, and you hate him if he's not. And Josh Donaldson. You get a guy who, yeah, we dig him because he's a douchebag. And now he's our douchebag. And, you know, he beats other people. And he sticks it in your face. And, you know, that's a guy we haven't had in a while. Guy with some personality. Guy with some juice. So I like what they've done. That they've added a left-handed bat. They've gotten better defensively. And it allows LeMahieu to be that, their Swiss Army knife because he's not great anywhere defensively, the but he can play all three infield positions, NTH, and spell those three guys. So I like what they did there. Obviously, they need some work in the starting pitching. You can always trade for that. You know, the A's, obviously, are having a fire sale. They have two starters who are going to be gone soon. Hopefully, one's going to be a Cardinal, but you know, that would require them to wake up uh, before the season starts. And I don't know if John Mazeliak and Bill DeWitt have come out of hibernation yet. We'll have to see. But uh, I think one of those two pitchers could be a, a, a Yankee, whether it's Sean Manaya or, or Frankie Montez. But I like what they've done. And of course, the Blue Jays have just gone, <laughs> I mean, simply all in. Plain and simple.
0: It's going to be interesting in the ALEs. It's going to be interesting all across Major League Baseball and plenty to get into once that season gets closer to starting. Thankfully, we are headed that way. We didn't know when we'd actually be able to say that. When we next meet up, March Madness will continue to be mad. God only knows where we'll stand when we record our next episode. Who's lost like fools and who's moved on. And the National Football League won't let us talk about anything else. So some other random thing will most assuredly end up happening that we'll have to get into. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week.
1: Remember, folks, it happens quick. After this weekend, it's Sweet Little 16. Boom, boom, boom. Before you look up. You know, it'll be final four times. So enjoy this weekend, all the basketball free agent frenzy on both the national football league and MLB for my partner, the great John tiny line. This has been the new report, him, the old report, me, out from white plans, AKA Alvernado until next weekend. Have a great sports weekend, everybody.